Hello, everybody, and thank you again, Janet Lee. Wow. Angels, angels, angels. And a lot of that is about angels around Jesus Christ. But it's beautiful. And thank you for your style of playing. And ladies and gentlemen, here we are. We are ready for Seven Thunders Before Genesis Part 5. And today should be a very unusually interesting time. And um, all I can say is um, gear yourself up. Uh, hold on to something. We're going to take a ride. And uh, I hope that uh, none of you fall off uh, the wagon uh, by the time I get through with all the things that I have to say today. Because uh, they are being deliberately, deliberate, deliberately said, and they are um, of some, some, some sensation. I want to start <clears throat> with um, an interesting verse in Joshua 24:27 out of the Bible. Joshua 24:27. And Joshua said unto the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us. For it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. Now, <clears throat> there is such a sensation in this statement in this verse and it goes back way back into the Bible but we need not be too um, unappropriate in our understanding that in the days of Joshua in the days of Moses they were privy to uh, all kinds of experiences uh, experiences that were not of this earth and so <clears throat> When they write about things like this, it's because they had contact. They had contact with with uh, angels. They had contact with um, people not of this planet. And they received advanced information. And with that information, they were able to know things and understand things that uh, that the other pagans in the world did not know, did not understand. So... It's exciting. Well, let's look at what I read to you. They're, they're making a monument, a, a pile of stones. <clears throat> and Joshua said, now here's the purpose. And he's, he's um, dedicated one particular stone. And he said, this stone here, he said, shall be a witness unto us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall therefore, because the stone has heard all the words of the Lord that God spoke, it shall therefore be a witness unto you, lest you deny your, your God. Now, it would not be out of line if you would just want to take a pencil or pen next to that verse, energy dot, because we see that the very atoms that make up the stone are something more than just 
something that is inane. And when we think about the atom, you know, the atom is 99.9% space or empty. Only one trillionth of an atom has mass. So atoms can pass through each other all the time without ever smashing into one another as far as the part of the atom that is mass. Because 99.9% of an atom is space. And that's why you can compress atoms. You can compress them and get the space out so that you have a more solitary situation of the mass. But the incredible thing is, is that Joshua is saying that this this substance of the stone could hear. And not only could hear, it could understand. And not only understand, it could remember. So now we have committed by the Bible, because we know that all things, the Bible says things that are seen are made of things that do not appear. That's scripture. That's New Testament. Things that are seen, the stone, are made of things that do not appear. Atoms. You can't see the atoms, but they're there. They don't appear, but they're there. And 99.9% of an atom is space. And only one trillionth of it is mass. And so, when we talk in this book about energy dots, ladies and gentlemen, this is just one little scripture. But it is Bible. It is Bible. The Bible's telling us that the things that we conduct, the things that we do, the vibrations of those actions are recorded in the very elements of the earth. Both those things which are visible and those things which are, are invisible. As we begin to concentrate on this, and understand the relevance of it. When we get into more teachings on Gog and Magog and, and how that this knowledge was brought up from many universes earlier, we see that these things are never really destroyed. They are imprinted as impressions and they have memory. And they, they serve as a witness of those events. It's always written there. And when people say it's written in the stars, well, yeah, there's definitely some truth to that. And it's so sad when people hear, you know, some of these teachings and they they just don't uh, quite see how these things can be of, of such a nature. How that they can, you know, just be so, so, so powerful. Well, that's because people have been stuck into a treadmill kind of mentality. 
not moving forward in a quest for a journey for new ground, but just retreading the same old earth, the same old knowledge, the same degree of knowledge. And they become very hard set to want to believe anything else. Well, if there's anything that people have become hard set about, especially in the Western world, it's about the coming of Jesus Christ, the end of the world thing. Now, I have told some people that have just absolutely made predictions about the end of the world and about some tragic things that were supposed to have already happened. Some of these things were to have happened, you know, in November. They didn't, which I told them they're not going to happen. And there's all kinds of people that have built up all kinds of gloom and doom about the year 2012. Those things are not going to happen. I don't say there won't be any little thing that just is the regular cycle of things that happen on Earth. There's tornadoes, there's earthquakes. Those are things that have just been going on almost since the beginning of time. There are evidence that the Earth is, is a living Earth. It's alive. But, you know, if you go all of the way back to 53 A.D., even before all the books of the Bible were written, there was talk about Christ's return, and some had said it had already taken place. And the Thessalonians, they panicked on Paul when they heard a rumor that the day of the Lord was at hand, and they had missed the rapture. Now, in the year 500, a Roman priest and theologian in the 2nd and 3rd centuries predicted Christ would return in A.D. 500 based on the dimensions of Noah's Ark. <laughs> Guess what? It didn't happen. In the year 1000, and that year goes down as a high year of hysteria over the return of Jesus Christ, many, many members, members of society were affected by the prediction that Jesus was coming back at the start of a new millennium. And there weren't really any events required by the Bible transpiring at that time, but the magic number 1,000 was primarily the sole reason for the expectation. And during the concluding months of 1999 AD, everyone was on their best behavior. Worldly goods were sold and given to the poor. Swarms of pilgrims headed east to meet the Lord at Jerusalem. Buildings went unrepaired. Crops were left unplanted. Criminals were set free from jail. The year 1990 A.D. turned into the 1000 A.D. and nothing happened. Ha <laughs> ha, whoa. 1186, a letter from the Toledo warned everyone to hide in the caves and the mountains. The world would be destroyed and only a few would be spared. Guess what? Didn't happen. The Taborites of Czechoslovakia predicted every city would be annihilated by fire. This was in 1420. And only five mountain strongholds would be saved. Didn't happen. Wow. Munster, 
a leader of the German peasants, announced that the return of Christ was near. After he and his men destroyed the high and the mighty, the Lord would return. This belief led to an uneven battle with the government troops, which he strategically, which strategically, which strategically, uh, <laughs> strategically outnumbered Munster. And Munster had had a, a, a vision uh, from God, he said. And he said the Lord promised that he would catch the cannonballs of the enemy in the sleeves of his cloak. The vision turned out to be false. Munster and his uh, followers were mowed down by cannon fire. Whoa. Well, seems like this has been going on for a long time. Guess what? In 1666, to the citizen, citizens of London, 1666 was not a banner year. A bubonic plague outbreak killed 100,000 people, and the Great Fire of London struck the same year. The world seemed at an end to most Londoners. The fact that the year ended with the beast number 666 didn't help matters, and you can guess all kinds of predictions that for sure this was the end of the world, but guess what? It wasn't. Mary Bateman, who specialized in fortune teller, telling, had a magic chicken, she claimed, that laid eggs with end-time messages on them. One message said that Christ was coming. Christ was coming. The uproar she created ended when she was caught forcing an egg into the hen's oviduck by an unannounced visitor. <laughs> Mary later was hanged for poisoning a wealthy client. And then you have Joanna Southcott, who made a startling claim that she, she was pregnant by virgin birth, and she would produce a second Jesus Christ. Her abdomen began to swell, and so did the crowds of people around her. The time for the birth came and passed. She died soon afterwards. An autopsy revealed it had been a false pregnancy. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, it just goes on. 1859, Reverend Thomas Parker, a Massachusetts minister, looked for the millennium to start, about 1859. And then... I'm not going to even mention a lot of these um, uh, failed prophecies from some of the several of the churches. Uh, I basically just don't want to mention the churches, and it don't want to seem like I'm knocking them. But they're they're listed down here, and the and the prophecies, what they made, the prophecies they made, and how that they failed, and and some of these groups just failed one time after another, you know. So it's. Um, <clears throat> one group um, made a claim to fame by incorrectly forecasting the return of Jesus. A number of the church members had quit their livelihoods ahead of the promised event. And guess what? That was in 1970. Jesus didn't come. 1973, a comment that turned out to be a visual disappointment nonetheless compelled one preacher to announce that it would be a sign of the Lord's return. That was 1973. 
Oh, we could just go on and on and on. Lindsay, he was famous in the Christian leadership. Declared the rapture would occur before December 1st, 1981, based on Christian prophecy, astronomy, and a dash of ecological fatalism. He pegged the date to Jesus' promise to return to earth a generation after Israel's rebirth. He made references to the Jupiter effect, a planetary alignment that occurs every 179 years that would supposedly lead to earthquakes and a nuclear plant melt and nuclear plant meltdowns that was in 1981 guess what it didn't happen it was all going to end in 82 when the planets lined up and created magnetic forces that would bring that would bring the armageddon to the earth it didn't happen wow i mean there's pages and pages i'm just reading a few of these a local group in Australia predicted Jesus would return through the Sydney Harbor at 9 a.m. on the 31st of March, 1991. Didn't happen. Whoa. In 1993, if the year 2000 is the end of the 6,000-year cycle, then the rapture must take place in 1993 because you would need seven years of the tribula tribulation this was the thinking of a number of prophecy writers. It didn't happen. It goes on and on and on, ladies and gentlemen. And I guess I'm telling you these things because I just don't want to see God's people get entrapped in these false predictions that actually cannot happen according to the Bible, Bible teaching. Wow. Okay, let's just read just a few more. Um... California psychic Sheldon uh, Niddle predicted the end would come when 16 million spaceships converged upon the Earth on December 17, 1996, along with a host of angels. Didn't happen. Whoa. In 1998, by numerology, because 666 times 3 equals 1998, some people point to this year as being a a prophetically significant year, and this gentleman that wrote this said, "I had to call. I had someone call me long distance, just so they could pass this information on to me about the shattering news concerning the the Earth problems." Wow. Nineteen ninety-eight on April thirtieth, nineteen ninety-eight, when Israel will be fifty. The tribulation was to start. The reasoning for the state had to do with God's age requirements uh, for the priesthood, which is between 30 and 50. Wow. On and on and on. There are just, there's hundreds, thousands of false predictions, false prophecies involved in the church world, involved with ministers, involved with people called Christians, involved in all kinds of other uh, beliefs about about the end of the world and about the return of Christ, about the rapture. All these predictions are on record. They're on record as false. Wow. You know, an untold number of people have tried to predict the Lord's return by using elaborate timetables. Most state setters do not realize 
mankind has not kept an unwavering, unwavering record of time. Anyone want to chart, for example, 100 B.C. to 2000 A.D. would have to contend with the fact that 46 B.C. was 445 days long. There was no year of zero B.C. And in 18, uh, pardon me, in 1582, um, we switched from the Julian years, 360 uh, days, to the uh, uh, the um, the Gregorian uh, time of 365 days, because most prognosticators are not aware of these errors. From the get-go, their math is already off by several to many years. Well, I hope that did you a little bit of good. I hope you uh, you get the point. You begin to realize that um, there's just a lot going on that needs to be understood. Now, turn with me in the Seven Thunders Manifest Chronicles book, and we're going to read a real uh, short ex excerpt on page 46. So if on page 46 you skip all the way down uh, uh, to where the, the writing is reduced by a wide margin, that's where we're going to read from. And it says, Let the white horse Zith riders thunder this word of God, the I Am. Let the white horse Zith riders Thunder this word of God, the I Am. Let the lost secrets regarding the treasure cities of Ramses sparkle forth their jewels of truth. Now, I'm going to take this verse right here about the Zith Riders, the White Horse Ministry, is what that is referring to. And I'm going to basically take off from that in my teachings today. And that's going to be all, the, this, all that we're going to read from this book because this subject of the Zith White Horse writers is so major. It is a root connection to the writings of, of this whole book. And it is something that needs to be explained and people need to really understand it. And there may be some of you people out there, after you hear it today, you know, you might be waving your flag goodbye and saying goodbye, see you later, Dr. Jerry Lee. And hey, you know what? I will not ridicule you. I will understand. There was a time in my life, if I heard some of the things that I know and I'm preaching, I would have had problems with them too. So I will not be angry at anybody. And uh, all I can do is tell you that I have a ministry obligation to make sure that people understand. So we're taking off from this part right here on this white horse Zith Riders. And we're going to get into exactly what that all means because...
That is a big, big, big subject. Very big subject. Now, the name of this book is The Seven Thunders Speak, Manifest Chronicles Before Genesis. My wife came to me today, and she said, Jerry, I found something stuck way underneath, and it obviously had been there for a long time, and it's in an envelope here, and you had written it, and it's pretty astounding what you had written, and I just thought that you would want me to give that to you so you can put it in your files. She told me what it said, and I said, oh, yeah, I do want that. I remembered it. In April the 26th of 1990, approximately 21 years ago, I wrote this. Now listen carefully. I have hidden the script of the Seven Thunders. I have hidden the script of the Seven Thunders chapter of the Manifest, where it will not likely be found. It is too deep and perplexed and yet beautiful to make available at this time. When I return in some body or by the Spirit, I will complete his voice. I love you, Jeboah. At that time, I was part of the time going by the name Jeboah, the prophet. The name Jeboah means the jawbone of the ass, like referring to the jawbone that Samson used to slay the Philistines. I'll read it one more time for you. I have hidden the script of the Seven Thunders chapter of the Manifest, where it will not likely be found. It is too deep and perplexed and yet beautiful to make available at this time. When I return in some bodily or by the Spirit, I will complete this voice. I love you, Jeboah. Now, we moved from the time that I had written and I had um, hidden that note. And I had to pull it out, and it got put into boxes of my stuff. And, uh, and we moved it to where we are at now, in Stony Plain, Alberta. And, um, and Jan ran on to it, my wife, and I read it to you today. Now, you have to understand, because I think this is important, and there's a reason why I'm reading this. I very well remember at this time, 21 years ago, when I thought about how perplexing and deep some of these teachings were and how complicated it was to be able to have the energy even to teach the people and get them to understand it and how almost what it seemed was almost impossible I had tried, I'd, I'd had a, um, a crew of people, and we worked for several years trying to get, get it together, and we just couldn't get there. And, um, and I was, uh, had a business at that time, and I was paying for uh, all these people to, to work on it. And then after that time went by, after that time went by, um, I um, 
of course, didn't have a big group of people to help me. And it just looked really quite complicated and almost impossible. And so I remember that day when I wrote that, I thought, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this. It's too vast. It's just too vast. Now, we know there's been about a half a dozen people, about a half a dozen people that the word got back to us that they said they did not believe in this book because they did not believe it could be written by one man. Well, you know, it was written, it was received by me and written by me, whether people want to believe that or not. And I don't hold that against anybody that has a problem with it. But the thing of it was, is I'm going to explain to you something as to how I was able to finally get this book done. Now, you should know by now that I teach about the sons of Enoch that were carried away and Jesus in Matthew 24 said, as it was in the days of Noah, it'll be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And I'm going to rapture people. I'm going to take them up. They're going to meet with the angels in the air. They're going to be carried away. He said that happened before in the days of Noah. And we know that there were these offspring of the Enochs, the children of Enoch, the progeny of Enoch, that were carried away to the Father's house, which we call Artura, even though it has nothing to do with the the Buotis, the the constellation that the star Arturus is at, other than there being an alignment. Well, something has been going on for many years with this thing with uh, my relationship to the the people of Artura, the Arturians. And I've had um, very intimate experiences with the people of that planet and with actually uh, being on that planet. And I can, can and have described in vivid detail all kinds of things about the planet and about how people live and how business is conducted and their faith is conducted. And that is in a book that one day we will release called My Father's House. And it will be a sensation. But today I'm going to reveal this to you. And very few people know these things. So I am entangled now, that is an atomic term. That's like when there's two atoms and one atom is at this part of the universe and the other atom is the other part of the universe, but there is something uh, so uh, aligned between the two that whatever happens to the one happens to the other. I'm aligned with this person from our Tura called Kawa. And... Um, while I'm here on the earth, born on earth, <clears throat> born on earth, and um, 
involved as being a messenger of God and a messenger with the knowledge of the Father's house. Well, during the, the first quite a few years, Kawa was in a swoo. And um, a swoo is this place where they are, they are sort of in suspended animation. And that was done so that his likeness of entanglement to me would not, be, would not interfere with the ministry that I was supposed to do here on earth. Well then, as they are advancing on all their, their knowledge, they found a way to allow Kawa to get out of the swoo by creating these uh, crowns. And these crowns are like circuits of, of brain constituency. And, and uh, they're not like flesh and blood type of things, but they have circuits that do the same job and work. <clears throat> and uh, they found a way that he did not have to, to stay in the swoo and that not, by not being in there, this, these crowns took over and um, uh, he could go ahead with this other kind of work and other kinds of things and it would not a fear, interfere with our, um, uh, in, in our atomic entanglement or spiritual entanglement, uh, which sounds like a negative term, but it's a positive term because it's sort of like a, um, you know, uh, when you play a tune on a piano and something vibrates, that vibration is because it has resonance to that sound. And, and so there's a resonance there. Well, um, in the meanwhile, I'm on earth here trying to get all this writing, all these things done. And ever so often I'm having these experiences in which for just a moment or two or three moments, when I'd be sitting down working on, on the, the subject or, or just meditating, I, I would feel like my mind would all of a sudden just open up and that there wasn't anything in the whole universe that I didn't know. But that would only last for seconds and then it would dissipate. But it was just such an experience that I thought, my God, is that how it can be? Well, it wasn't very long after those experiences that I was contacted by various um, persons from the Father's house in which they told me that they had never done this before. I would be the first one that they've ever done it with. But they had something similar to the, to the crowns that they were using for Kawa, a little different in nature, but they were using and they were able to then photo transmit the signal to my brain. And <clears throat> there would be three crowns. They would first connect me with one crown, and after a period of time, 
they would connect me to the second crown and eventually the third crown. And as I had these crowns connected to my brain by, by virtue, virtue of the photo uh, uh, translation of signal, that I would suddenly have a lot of knowledge that I never had before, a lot of capabilities that I never had before, an understanding in a deeper, better way of being able to understand and put things together. So I noticed it immediately with the first crown. And then when the second crown came, uh, I was just astounded at my capability to look at mathematical things and and to look at all kinds of other uh, things and have this uh, deep uh, knowledge. And uh, so I'm on the second crown, and at some point, I don't know just when, I'm supposed to have the third crown connected. And I don't know what that will mean, uh, you know, in expansion of knowledge. But as far out as this story sounds, and if you have a problem believing it, that's all right. I still love you. But I'm going to tell you this story because it's true. And um, so when we um, like begin to receive these things, it changed everything. It, 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 was, it made it so that I could write this book. I could, I could finish it. I could, I could work on it, and I, and I worked on it because I had this extra brain power, which the code name is, is barley. And, and so this barley brain energy, which I had a first and second crown of, has just enabled me to know and to think and to say things now in a much uh, deeper way of assurity and deeper understanding of, of all the finest factors. Now, what really sort of uh, instigated me to say this is because I just recently put on a new blog, a very long one, but one that I recommend that everybody who's listening to this message, that as soon as you can, at your earliest convenience, you get on the www.themanifestor.com and read it. It's called Acts, A-C-T-S, of America. And it tells about the Roswell incident, the Area 51, about the, the supposed, you know, the crash at Roswell of the UFO. It tells about a revelation of these night goggles that people have been using and supposedly seeing all kinds of UFOs and 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 them in war with lasers. And then it gets into a revelation on Tesla, Nikola Tesla. And um, I could not finish it because I just really ran out of room. And so I'm starting, and I've already started, the second part, on the Tesla anomaly, part two, but there is so much information on there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you do need to read that. You do need to read it. And um, someone made a comment on there, uh, a faithful follower of us, uh, 
And he said, well, he says, I, I really want to encourage you, yes, to go on with this second part because I had put at the end of the blog that if people really want me uh, to go on and give this information, which is absolutely sensational, because I'm going to show uh, how the Tunguska event that was a, was a blast uh, many, many times, many, many times, stronger than the atom bomb dropped on Nagasaki or Hiroshima, and how it, that it laid down 30 to 80 million trees flat on the ground. I'm going to show mathematically and scientifically how that even though they say that because the trees were laid pointing north and the the place of Tesla at the time was Manhattan, New York, where this big tower was able to fire out this electromagnetic energy. I'm going to show how that it happened and how that it was able to happen and how that it was that those trees were pointed in a position that didn't seem to be likely that it could be. And I'm going to show what it was, what the air was that Tesla made mathematically, why he overshot the North Pole, which was what he was aiming for. And uh, that's going to come in the second part, but even the part that's on there now is very sensational. And so this gentleman that wrote, he says, yes, I want you to do this, but, he says, I hope this will not take away from you being able to finish the, the, the Peace Bible and, in particularly, the, the Book of Revelations of the Peace Bible. And I was really impressed with that. He says he had been waiting for three years on that book. And I know it's been a long time. And all I can say is that, um, and, and believe me, I am not saying this to prompt anybody to put out a dime. But people have to understand that uh, even with all the brain power, there's a lot of, of work that has to be done. And, and it's, it's massive. Even this book that we put out just recently, The Pearls of Writ, was a huge project. That, that took several people, you know, to do the tabulations and all the work of getting that ready for publication. And, um, and uh, for a long time, uh, I was paying just one of the employees um, $500 a week. Um, we don't have any money like that that, that comes in from, from PayPal, believe me. Not, it's not even, it's almost funny if you, but I do thank God for everything that does come in. But uh, I just have to, you know, to work and figure out how these funds will, will come about. And I just have to figure them out, you know, whichever way I can. And that, that, takes, that takes time. It takes time when you're, you know. Now, right now, we have cut down this fellow uh, that we are paying 500 a week. And, of course, he's worth many times that. That's just a low salary for him. But we're paying him 250 a week, and he's cut down his hours. So it's slowed down the work of the Peace Bible. And then there's all kinds of other reasons. But our plan at this time is that 
on my birthday, March 2nd, 19, uh, well, March 2nd, 1938, uh, 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 I, uh, my birthday on, on that day, but in March of, of, uh, 2012, that I want to have the, the book of Revelations ready to publish and ready to hand out to people. And that will be our plan. Uh, it's mostly written. Uh, there's just uh, about, um, oh, maybe a dozen chapters that are left that I have to go back over one more time. And then it has to be all the the paperwork and, you know, the, the proper types of uh, settings. And it, it all takes time. Uh, but we hope to have that ready to hand out for any of you that may be wondering. And and uh, so, uh, you know, we just ask you, you know, pray for us. But we're not asking anybody to to uh, put themselves under any strain or or uh, get over concerned. You know, we just we've turned it over to the Lord. And and as long as things can go along and I can keep everything going and figuring out how to keep paying these things and making it happen, uh, we should have that done by that date. And um, and it it it, it will be. Um, one of the most exciting, profound books that you have ever glanced your eyes upon in your life. Uh, it is absolutely astounding. And um, it's exciting. So we're hoping to have it by that time, which is, you know, not that far away. But um, we will be really moving on it during this time to get it done then. So just throw up a little prayer, and that's all we're asking. Uh, now, I want to share some other things that um, that I've had in the way of experiences um, that I think are are you know quite interesting, um, and uh, I, I think that um, I'll just start it off this way. In the the book of um, Judges, chapter five, verse twenty, KJV, it says they fought from heaven, the stars in their courses fought against. Sisera, that's Judges 5.20 KJV. We, ladies and gentlemen, by the Bible are connected to an understanding that there is a parallel between us and concerned angels, concerned uh, people likened to us. One time God spoke to me and said, when you look into space, you will see your own face. This is the first time I began to get the revelation uh, of the Arturians being humans that came from the earth, being the offspring of, of, uh, of Enoch. And, um, and then we see that there is a connection, and, and, and there is, you know, the stars, which is, another, is symbolically... Uh, a way of uh, of speaking of of God's people. That's all through the Bible. You don't have to do much searching to see that stars can represent, uh, you know, the the people of God. For instance, in um, Job thirty eight seven KJV and and uh, Job thirty eight twenty one NASB, it says, "Where were you? Where were you when the morning stars sang together?" And all the sons of God shout it for joy. And then the NASB of 3821 says, You know 
You were born then. Do you get that? You were born when all the morning stars shouted for joy. And this, if you read the rest of the scripture there, was at the making of of the planet Earth and the the creation of the planet Earth. You know because you were you you were you were born then. That's Bible, ladies and gentlemen. That's the word of God. When we read in Revelations twelve nineteen, you heavens and you that dwell in them, we have it in the word of God that there are people dwelling in the heavens that are outside of we people who dwell on the earth with its firmament heaven. Wow. It's really, really interesting. And we are used to the the use of the word star. Numbers twenty four seventeen said, "A star shall rise out of Jacob." And Daniel twelve three says, "The wise shall shine as the firmament, and they as the stars forever and ever. They who be wise as the stars forever and ever." And Second Corinthians five one talks about us being eternal in the heavens. And we know there are scriptures about the ages, Ephesians two seven, Ephesians three five and verse twenty one, and Colossians one twenty six, and then there's the verses in Hebrew, the book of Hebrews, one two and eleven three that talks about the worlds, W O R L D S worlds. It's the language of the Bible, folks. It's the language of the Bible. In Hebrews 12, if you just read that, it talks about the church of the firstborn not being on earth. The church of the firstborn is not on earth. The church is is from heaven. And um, we know that that Jesus Christ, in Colossians 1, 15-16, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of every creature. And we'll get into the reason of the connection of the firstborn of every creature here in a little bit when we talk about the kinsman redeemer. But these things are extremely very important and they're not to be looked at lightly. They have deep and relevant meaning. We know that a lot of things have not been understood because they've been hidden. Like in Psalms 81.7, it says, the secret hiding place of thunder. We've come to understand that in the, in the, the seven thunders, of, in the meaning that is described and explained in this book, that the thunders are words from God and revelation. And we know that, that Jesus said something sensational in John 18, verse 36. John 18, verse 36. If my kingdom was of this world, this earth, then my servants would fight. And you can also check John 17, 14, and John 8, 23. And we also know that Jesus said in John 10, 15 through 16, other sheep I have that are not of this fold. Now I know I've told you these things before. But it is my intention 
to go over and over and over these things. We know that one day when the angels are gathered as the children of God to the Father's house by the the Shinons, which are Artursians in spacecraft who are humans, human relatives of ours, that one day the first and foremost important connection will be the Father's house and Earth will just become, as I said last week, an outpost to the Father's house. So in Revelations 11.15, when it says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the Lord, it's obvious then that until that point in 11.15 of Revelations, the kingdoms were in the control of Satan. So we've got to get this message down. And there's a force of darkness trying to keep people from getting this message. It's trying to make them not understand and believe. If they really understood that this kingdom of, of the earth was the whole thing and the purpose of Jesus Christ, other than what he said, my kingdom is not of this earth, not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight for it. It doesn't mean that at some point that he will not stand up, but he made it clear that this was not his first residence. And so if we could understand the words of the Bible, if we could get it down and understand this, that if it were this situation, that this was the whole story, the whole finished product, the earth was it, then there wouldn't be no rapture. Everybody would just be involved in finalizing and improving what they've got here on earth because this is the whole thing. But it's not the case. And people have got to get that down. They've got to get it in their mind. It is not the case. And when it talks about, you know, the angels ascending, Christ ascending, they ascend up to heaven in a cloud, which is a, a, a Zith-like, you know, saucer, whatever you want to call it. We've got to get that down, ladies and gentlemen. And people have got to stop looking at these things as if they're ridiculous. And when in Luke 24, um, you know, um, 50 and uh, verse 5, um, uh, 24, 50 uh, through 55, it's, it talks about Jesus being carried, carried up into heaven. There are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures. Last week, I talked about that during the millennium, that the first part of the millennium, the millennials, the people, were going to be involved in tearing down the old part of Jerusalem completely all the, and making way for this planetome that's called the heavenly Jerusalem which is obviously not built on earth because it is descending from heaven and obviously it was built on the father's house planet and that's because when it does come according to Revelations 20 verse 4 through 7 when the holy city 
uh, uh, you know, descends, Revelations 21, verse 22, there's got to, there'll be no temple because that's an old order. belongs to the old Jewish concept. We're under Jesus Christ. We don't need that. We, you know, Jesus is going to be the temple. That doesn't mean there's not an effect of the temple and, and, and because there's both the spiritual and there is the physical. But I, I read to you all the scriptures where the sacrifices would be done away with. That belongs to the old order. That is going to be done away with. Now, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ because we, are, we were all, as Ophanims, part of the, of the host of the Lord. And um, there were, in, in the Old Testament, uh, what they called kinsmanship-redeemer relationships. Leviticus 25.25, if your brother be waxen poor and has sold away some of his possessions, if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. A kinsman could redeem it, but nobody else could redeem it. So these are very important things. In Psalms twenty two twenty two it says, I will redeem I will declare my name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Psalms eighty two six I have said ye are gods. And all of you are children of the Most High. There's a relationship. And it's all speaking about the wheel, which means in the Hebrew, ophan, which is singular for, for the plural of ophanims. Isaiah 8.8, 8, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwells in Mount Zion. Acts seventeen twenty eight to twenty nine, in Him we live and move and have our being. Verse twenty nine, for we are the offspring of God. We ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, given by art and man's device. Wow. Philippians three twenty one says we're going our bodies are going to change, our vile bodies that we may be fashioned like unto the glorious body according to the working, whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Colossians 1, 15, 18 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? You have to understand that connection. He is our kinsman redeemer. He has the right to redeem us. Under the law of the Old Testament, not everybody could redeem people. It had to be a kinsman. And Jesus, because he is our elder brother, can redeem us by that holy law. Hebrews 2.16 said, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. And there are many, many other scriptures, but that is really not my teaching tonight. But we know that he said regarding us, Romans eight twenty nine, for whom he did foreknow, he also additionally did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many among many brethren. For both in Hebrews two eleven, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Matthew twenty five forty and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as, as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Hebrews 2.11 For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And it just goes on and on and on with many, many scriptures, always bringing us back to John 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. I go away to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And though I go away, I will come again. I'll come to get you and to take you where I am. Can't we get the plan? Can't we understand there's another place? And it's a physical place. It's not the heaven of heavens, the spirit realm. It is another physical place. <clears throat> It'd be absolutely foolish for the tree of life to have been put into the, the Garden of Eden if the time of, of the lifespan of humans was just going to be involved within a few thousands of years. Because the Bible says that, that God said we have to get Adam's family out of the garden. Least they eat of the tree of life and live forever. He's talking about their physical body. We know that people in the Old Testament lived an average of 830 years. Today, we only live one-twelfth of that time. We have to understand there's a plan. God has a plan. And he's wanting to bring us into that plan. Blessed be the name of God. So, <clears throat> he is moving us from flashes to flashes, from waves to waves. Go to the soundtrons, the Lord tells us. And the energy dots. For there is revitalization, there is retrocognition. That which is of a great past comes again. Anti-nothingness rises, causing nothingness to be seen in its true reduction. The Bible, shining as a galaxy of heavenly stars, opens its secret codes to speak again through the once lost language of Akka. Then said I, let universal intelligence speak, for the Lord has given me a thinking place. Therefore I go to read the messages of signs illustrated by the stars of heaven. Check out Psalms 19.1.6. As I looked to read, I saw in my mind a brilliantly flashing scroll, which began to unroll as breaths from world of ages. Blown out from it, stars configuring signs of language in stellar tales, told star stories arranged in magnificent array for those who wish, whose wish was to see by the light 
that shone from above. So I wished my eyes were filled with starry wonders, unfolding of unfolds. Suddenly there I was, standing among the shining orbs of suns, looking far, far away as a cosmic speck of dust called earth. I entered through the eyes of the messenger of all messengers and gazed as though a moment. In all my lingering and experiences over the course of time, I received messages like this that were connected to my Artesian experience. This is the brand of light. Space is filled with highly sensitive networks of invisible veins whose metaphysical sensors relay into infinity <clears throat> the vibrations of our every thought and action. Every human being has a counterpoint, a place where his total focus draws magnetic recharges, magnetic recharges to his being. These charges can be of a positive or negative nature, depending on the point of a person's focus. It is possible by determination to short out the radiation from the mental circuits that operate the physiological being, thus correlating <clears throat> to our inner source opportunities for interdimensional correspondence. <clears throat> if you are interested <clears throat> in the purpose to, um, if you're interested in the, in the process to capture the glow of this interstellar light, then I ask you to bend your mind to the light and think of the verse in the Bible that says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. This is the brand of light saying blessings to all who seek us with total rejuvenation of the angelic star kingdom. We ask you to reach past time to infinity. Take an eternal, and take an eternal moment and tilt your thoughts on words that are written in places human beings have never tried. Where the souls of light reach into the, the bountiful and prolific wonders of worlds of which some minds at their best have only rubbed the edge of their thinking, it is to this edge I ask you to come and bend your minds to the light. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> now, I don't know that I'll read all of this, but I've read this a few times, but this was a manifest um, concept that was done many, 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 many years ago. And um, it talks about before the genesis of universal order, when as yet the clocks of creation had not begun to tick, in the vastness of the perpetuation of time, God with piercing eye looked be beyond the pure energy realms of the first domain. And seeing the great darkness said, I am saddened because of the void of empty space. Let there be light. Then God was moved with compassion, and his love lifted him to think of creations and worlds without end. Furthermore, he said, let wheels of energy fill space with magnets of fire. Now, this thing of magnets of fire all ties into the electromagnetic and the electrovimatic revelation. Uh, when I received, after I received the, this uh, meeting with Gabriel, and he planted all of this book into my brain, 
And then he said to me, you will now not remember any of these things until the day of of the manifest uh, uh, revelation comes to you. Well, years went by. And one day I was getting ready to go to bed. My wife was already in bed. And just as I reached over and turned out the light, I felt like these two hands on top of my head. And it was just like there was this liquid energy that I felt. And it was just incredible energy. It was just awesome. And I heard these words. When the electromagnetic waves of the soundtron are electro electrosynchronized to the external and internal particles of fire, a circuit is produced. It is such circuits, such circuits that the angels travel faster than the speed of light. Now, sometimes I use the word electromagnetic, but I think originally it was electromagnetic because they applied to two particular different things. But that was my first beginning revelation. You see, when I do Gentile, I use a really low hertz uh, power, radio uh, power, uh, to speak that message into the brain of people. And it is electromagnetic. And um, uh, all the um, phototransitions of of things like um, the um, sub-audition gnosis, in which we go in and take out images uh, out of people's mind of of past negative events and and which we you know get into revelation to people in a very profound way for their life that's all uses electromagnetic energy a very very uh, low event using a very very uh, short uh, antenna to do that <clears throat> Okay. <clears throat> Furthermore, he said, let the wheels of energy fill space with magnets of fire, swirling at great speeds, and let my will be written in every aspect of substance. Thus it came to be, once upon a star, long ago, in the time of the eighth universe, in the time of the universe, of this universe, dotted disk of the reallions of matter moved in streams of motion within the body of space. The swirl of life was strong, and the force of energy prevalent throughout the system involving generations began to move and fill the universe. Therefore, many creations arose. Then it gives the revelation of the principle no one called the eminent domain which is a beautiful revelation. Um, and then it goes into principle two, the soundtron. Then it goes into principle three, latolution. Goes into principle four, uh, auto, um, aquatic man. It goes into principle five, the quotum. And it talks about the quotum of degrees, the quotum of mass, the quotum of energy, and the quotum of resolution. The quotum of all cosmic substances fall into three categories. TRIT, capital T-R-I-T, major. The total resolute involutionary termination of all matter to the cosmic scroll stage. Two, TRIT major, the total expanded volume potential of the cosmic scroll. 
Three, the trit at trit minor, the total resolution in transit of the total variance potential of mass or energy lattice traje- trajectories or compositions. And then princ- principle six, it tells about uh, inversion. Within the wave print of the soundtron, there exists an inversion mode reversal principle, which is the general atomic inversion of all universal matter structures. The oscillatory motions of the universe are halted by the inversion. Now, this is really, really important when it talks about the oscillatory. When uh, Thomas Edison invented his thing of um, electricity, he was using a circuit. And, of course, that was very expensive to operate and very limited what he would be able to do with that. Along came Tesla, and he had this concept of alternating currents. So what the difference was, was that he felt that you could not get any radiation out or energy out if you, uh, if you kept everything bound within a circuit, of, uh, like a circle circuit. And so let's take, for instance, a stad or a rod, a rod and, and ha- heavy coil wrapped closely around it. We'll call that coil one. Then let's skip a space, and down below we'll have another coil, and we have this copper coil wrapped around it. We'll call that coil two. And then in between, he put what was called a condenser. So when the energy would come down the coil and come close to the condenser, it couldn't get through the condenser, and the energy wants to go somewhere, so it reversed and went back up. And then, of course, as soon as it got to the end of the, of the, of the coil, it reversed again and come back down. And so as it began to do that, it, it started getting faster and faster speed. And this was called an oscillatory coil. And this was the secret of Nikola Tesla's incredible re- revelation that has basically lit up the whole world of this earth by his invention. And, um, um, you know, I'd never read anything about him when I received all these things. But God revealed all these things to me about electromagnetic energy, about, um, you know, the oscillatory motions of the universe and, uh, and the inversions and um, logistical rhythmatics, trit, and I don't even have time, you know, to read to you everything because I have a lot to cover yet. But it is certainly fantastic. Now, we can't help but notice if a person is really reading the Bible that the Bible just can't seem to get away from the idea of, of, of Psalms, of scriptures like in Psalms 18, 12 through, um, Psalms 18, 11 through 12. He, meaning God, rode upon a cherub and did fly. Upon the wind, the pavilion around about him, planetome, were dark waters and energies and thick clouds. Psalms 104.3, who makes the clouds his chariot. 
Daniel 7.13, I saw in the night visions, one like the Son of God, come in the clouds of heaven. And 2 Kings 2.1, the whirlwind, equaling chariots like chariots of fire, what we call ziths, Z-Z-I-T-H-S, like in our, our book, which is the subject of what we're talking about today, the ziths. And, um, you know, a Hebrew 11.5 talks about that Enoch was translated. He did not die. Enoch was translated. That translation was part of him being taken up, him and his seed, to the father's house. And when, in Second Kings 2.11, Elijah ascended and went up on a chariot of fire, you can be sure that where he ended up was the father's house. Those are beautiful precious things to understand. I've had con a continuum of experiences. On May 25, 2004, I was out of town visiting a church family. I had a friend with me. I began to receive mental translations from TTTTT. Now, he is a personal close, mind, a close friend of mine from Artursia. You may or may not be able to believe this, but he's a, a real close buddy friend to um, Kawa. And um, my mind immediately wandered worlds away. And my friend, who had traveled with me, remarked, you look like your mind is somewhere else. I replied, yes, I'm worlds away. After my friend and I returned to our own hotel apartment, I began strongly feeling the presence of T and his Zith companions. I walked out to our um, seventh floor apartment balcony and immediately I spotted the occasional blip flashes of T Ziths. They were in a basically invisible stealth-like mold. My friend came out of the, on the balcony and said, the Artursians are here, aren't they? And I said, yes, and pointed to, the, to their sky location. But he had already, spotted, had already spotted the blip flashes and pointing said, they're just below that star. And I, and I replied, well, actually, that star is really further away, much further away. These Ziths are in orbit, very near the Earth. Wow. And then I go on to tell about how on May 27th, I've received other uh, transmissions from KTTTT and Kawa. And uh, I've had an ongoing relationship with them that still exists. TTTT and Kawa, I mentioned last week, they were two of the Artursians that went out and planted on the planet Cebo uh, new creations, fulfilling the 51st chapter of, of uh, Isaiah. In the Holy Manifest, it tells many of these things. In the Holy Manifest, there is a 
There are holy laws that are listed of the universe covenant. And they read like this. World shall not enslave world. You shall not fuse the brain tissue of one entity to that of another. You shall not fuse the cell life of the lower and higher evolving generations to each other. You shall not extract from the living realm or world of an alien matter which will change the balance of that realm's present or future necessities. You shall not strip or invert the atomic structures of the cosmos in such a way as would extensively alter the course of natural destiny. You shall not introduce into a living cosmic realm shapes of life that are, that are incongruent to the prior limits of shapes natural to that realm's habitat. You shall never annihilate a form of life to the point the last progenitor is made extinct, whether that form of life is good or evil. For all creations are of God. Therefore God shall decide. When you plant life upon distant realms, you shall be responsible to never abandon them. When you mine the heavens, you shall not remove matter, minerals, or energy in such a way as to strip a realm of its resources. It doesn't say that you can't go there and take minerals and certain things, but you can't just strip it to where there's nothing left. You shall not attempt to alter the vibration of the soundtron. To do so is resolute death. When aliens shall make war against alien, that alien which was not the provocator shall be free by universal cord, code to the limits of whatever force is necessary to save its, to save its creation. You shall not preserve the cell life of an entity beyond three passing generations of its lifespan. It shall not be recalled by, if it shall not be recalled by that time, let it be destroyed. For as long as its cell life is held in the state of preservation, its spirit cannot rebound to the creation. However, if that entity is the last progenitor of a form, then there shall not be a limit of its preservation. You shall not make the preference of a sex as to extinguish male, female, or unisex from the world. A world that evolved male and female shall not by force uh, resolve that physical realm to become only unisexual or resolve by force that physical realm to be only male and female. The higher evolving generations shall have first cause and first right of survival over the lower evolving generations. Therefore, when the expansion of the higher evolving generations necessitates removal, destruction, or use of the lower evolving generations, the higher evolving generations have preeminence, but let them also show mercy. You shall not de plant devices in the brain to control a living subject. You shall not bombard the neurons of a living ent entity, nor uh, chemicalize the brain of a living entity of the higher advancing orders by which to control the entity for slavery, ideology, doctrine, or religious reasons. You shall not perform surgical interception of the natural development processes of the brain by methods to program the behavior metabolism, nor shall you manipulate the genes. You shall not give mental power to the machine to rule over the living entity. You shall not be subject, uh, you shall be subject to the good angels to obey them, for they are the emissaries of God, 
but you shall refuse the evil angel's presence. And to the ones that enter another realm, desiring to paternalize with the entities of such a realm, they shall fall under the laws that rule these entities. You shall not replicate your image beyond the number of transitions you are able to recall by retraction uh, or to recall uh, from e- for each image. For that lingering of even one image can divide the soul. You shall not give a brain of flesh and blood a body of creature-made mechanism. When you traffic among the stars, you shall not fail to carry the words of the law of the Holy Manifest. You shall not rocket the seed of life indiscriminately into space, nor shall you indiscriminately fire rays or weapons into space. Beware of the chemical computer, least in feeding it all your knowledge it overwhelms and destroys you. You shall not program any one computer with ultimate knowledge, but shall spread the knowledge among many computers with protective backup systems to secure you. You shall not destroy the habitual criminal, but you shall banish him to islands, satellite, or most host bodies of the planets. There let him work like a slave until his days are ended. If he shall not work and he is not sick, neither shall he eat, even if he shall die. You shall castrate the habitual criminal, the rapist, and the murderer. Let his seed fail. You shall not preserve his cell, life, and storage, except he is the last regenerator of a form of life. Let there be manufacturing in their prison centers. Let them work and learn, that their minds may be healed. Let them be gainfully employed, but let their incomes defray the cost of their imprisonment and expenses of the inmates that are ill. If they are healthy but refuse to work, let them not eat, and if they shall not eat, let them die. They shall not torture the, you shall not torture the criminal or extract greater labor than expected of a free entity. When the populations of the entity shall exceed the physical capabilities of the land to sustain them, and there is not a meaningful proposition to alleviate the condition, then you shall draw lots among the eligible, and only those of the eligible shall pro- of, of the eligible shall progenerate the new seed, and and that limited to one birth for each progenitor. Therefore, because the laws of group survival is higher than the law of personal aspiration, they shall break the law of the lot. They that that break the law of the lot must suffer the abortion of the child. Nevertheless, they that are intent on progeneration of their genes, but having failed to draw the lot, may may um, store their sperm and ovum for future preservation. You shall show mercy to the lame and the deaf and the blind, and let them work if they can, for it is a satisfaction to them. If they cannot work, then society shall maintain them. That is received, that's in the book of the Holy Manifest. Now, one day we would like to get out to the public and to the people. Now, one of the questions uh, that we didn't get to answer last week was about the aura, God's aura. And um, the the God's aura is both um, invisible in the spirit realm of the first domain and, um, and visible through the Holy Spirit in its manifestations. Uh, and it is... M's mind energies of impressions that are brought out into the the physical world by the Holy Spirit. 
And we begin to understand the importance of of this revelation for which God has called his people. Because the body of man is a vehicle in which the spirit can be transported by forward resolutions of the mind to motivate the perpetuation of the being. Human bodies are live houses generated by the the evolving cell life. Wow. There's just lots of things. Lots of things. We're moving along here. I've got a lot to cover here yet. Um, spiritual effects. Uh, we have the the experience um, in Numbers 17, 6 through 10. Isaiah 14, 29. Isaiah 59, 5. Uh, where we are dealing with all kinds of of things about the rods, like Aaron's rod swallows up other rods. Uh, this is the time for the rod of Latolution to swallow up the rod of evolution. And um, and just like the revelation that was revealed uh, to um, to Jacob about the the rods that uh, that he used uh the thing of the of the thing of the of the of the rod is a whole teaching. It actually is many teachings. Uh, there's a, a incredible story, you know, uh, about uh, Jacob and the ladder and the and the lattice. And um, we don't have time to get into that today. But eventually, you know, we'll be getting into all these connections. But these are all things that the Bible is telling about through divine revelation that was given in a heavenly way, uh, you know, to the people. And uh, <clears throat> the point is that we all existed before in the heavens. Romans eight twenty nine. I read it to you. Whom he foreknow, he also did procrastinate, procrastinate, predestinate, sorry. Second Corinthians five twelve. We have a house not made with hands. Our appearance now is nothing like it will be. John 3, 2, it does not yet appear what we shall be like, but we shall be like him. Luke twenty thirty six. they which shall be um, overcome are equal to the angels. The physical life is a life of bondage and corruption. But the Bible says in Romans 8, 20 through 21, the, the, the creature shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. And 1 Corinthians 15:50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so we begin to, to see where God has uh, a heaven of heavens, which is a spiritual realm, and has universal heavens, which are physical realms. And there is a plan that uh, is involved in all of this. And, and people need to know about the topics you know, such as transcendence and, and the trans uh, 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 formation that happened with Enoch uh, in Genesis 5.24 and about the dignitaries of mortals that, that uh, uh, are become as angels and about the sleep and about ghosts and about hell and about the fallen angels and about the restitution of all things and about the white, uh, great white throne judgment. Uh, you know, these are things that People need to, to know. And First Corinthians fifteen forty nine says, "We have borne the image of the earthly; we shall also bear the image of the heavenly." 
No man has ascended up to heaven, save he that came down from heaven. If you hadn't come down from heaven, you wouldn't be going up to heaven. And and when it speaks of Jesus in that in that message, he is representing all humankind. So Jesus said of his disciples, they are not of this world, as I am not of this world. John seventeen sixteen. I, I'm trying to in a rush kind of way get this message to you people that um that God is dealing with the people of this time to open up their minds to understand you are not naturally from this planet. This is a place you came to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And fear and trembling is not something that the people of God should have to do. It's something for the devils to tremble. But God is dividing the flames of fire Psalms 29.7 and he is revealing incredible things that are almost beyond comprehension. The Bible says that he stretched out the heavens as a curtain. Isaiah 40.22 We're beginning to understand the ratios and the frequencies by which God did these things. And it is just absolutely wondrous and God says that that there would come a time when the knowledge of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And that's what's happening. And that's part of the reason God has given me this barley brain connection and why he has blessed me to be able to have this knowledge and have this insight. And I'm trying to share it with you people. Some of you may find it difficult, but you should hang and hold because already I've, I've given out quite a few prophecies and we could already see many of these prophecies have come to pass and are still coming to pass. So it's very, very important to understand this in the fullest way. You know, the Bible is way ahead of things. You know, before... Einstein got into this revelation about, you know, the the ideas that he had about space and how that time equaled a dimension, this theory of relativity. The Bible speaks of the time, of the space of time. And uh, the Hebrew word malah is translated as space in Leviticus 25.30. And it means fullness, be fenced, set. Such a word, therefore, can be, by such additional meanings, a representation of distance and measurement, or dimension. Additionally, the Greek work, epi, is translated space, which means over, toward, above, against, beside, is a superimposition potential. And it is a word that can be applied to mean a representative of measurement in space as well as time. These things are in the Bible. And God is speaking to his people by emissaries, by angels, by the Artersians, the described in the 68th chapter of, of, uh, of Psalms. 
And um, they are the only angels called the Shinans. I've read this to you. And and there was thousands of these these um, uh, people. And I, I just will take the time to read this again because it is so absolutely important. Uh, 68th chapter and the 17th verse. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. And the Lord is among them as in Sinai, in the holy place. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Now we see that that we are captive in this this human body. And God has taken descended and taken the captives, which are the offspring of Enoch. And they're still captives, and he's moved them to the planet, you know, of Artura, the father's house. And they are being able to fulfill as as humans the things that God has spoken in his Bible. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to have this parallel. And these sheep that the Bible describes that are not of the fold of the of the sheep people that are on earth. And we have these thousands of chariots and thousands of angels. Uh, and the word angel there translates to uh, the pronunciation shinons. And then, you know, when we look at, at the scriptures in Jude, and we read in the 14th verse of Jude, and Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these sayings, Behold, behold the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. And I wish I had the time. Maybe next week we'll finish this, and we'll go through, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to still be speaking for a bit. But, uh, you know, there, there's some reference scriptures that are very neat that I want to give you. Daniel 7.10, pardon me, Daniel 7, uh, you know, Daniel 7.10 and Hebrews 11.5. And uh, Lord willing, we will get back on that. But, you know, this is in the Bible. This is in the Bible. Enoch prophesied. Well, what did he do? Why was he prophesying way back then? Why was this just beginning to be revealed to us? (coughs) Excuse me. Why? Because it's all a connection to the great mystery of God. It's all a connection to this, my father's house where Jesus went. And so this thing is absolutely important for people to get the knowledge of the revelation about the father's house and and, and to be able to believe it and understand that these angels, you know, 20,000 and more, hovered over the mount where Moses received the law of the commandments and that they were involved. And these are angels that actually are the offspring of Enoch. So I want to tell you folks, you really need to read that blog that we have out now and you'll you'll begin to see some connections there to better even understand what I'm saying today with this blog that's out and the and the, the next one that will be coming out with it and help you to better understand these scriptures that I've been preaching at you for some time. Now, I really, really, really wanted to get into the revelation of the, um, of the myrtle tree 
And, uh, but, you know, um, I'm thinking that it's such a deep subject, I cannot finish it for quite a long time. It takes a lot of doing uh, to finish it. Um, but I think I may have shared this with you, but I'll share it again. Because when we get into this thing about the myrtle tree and how that uh, it is all connected to this whole revelation, the myrtle tree is actually, uh, I will show you when I get a chance to teach this, actually represents the Father's house. And uh, it is it was given as a sign, which it mentions that. And we talk about trees, how that they can have a symbolism, and how that the myrtle tree is a symbolism. And there are essences, uh, you know, like a ghost can be an essence. So that smoke and the smell of smoke is like the ghost of fire. And fa- fire, uh, like a, a fog, uh, and, and water vapor uh, are like the ghost of water. And sound and and uh, prints uh, are like the ghost of animal creatures. And the Holy Ghost impression is like the ghost of God's spirit. And shade is the ghost of the sun. And rain clouds are the ghost of the oceans and bodies of water. And we just go on and on and on, you know, the the um, uh, various other kinds like, you know, weather can be a, the ghost of the environment. And uh, pressures of wind can be like the ghost of air. There are just uh, many incredible connections to, to understand how that we can really come into these revelations. Uh, one of the terms that we were going to teach you was the word pluperfect. And uh, I always spell it with a P-L-U and a hyphen in between. And then perfect, P-E-R-F-E-C-T, you know. And there are many levels of perfection. And pluperfect is the level of perfection that is above all of the levels of perfection that are capable of being obtained in the physical infinity. Pluperfect is a, is a perfection that is capable of being obtained in the uh, first domain, uh, you know. And, and believe me, as I taught this a while back, that the, as, the, as the body without the spirit is dead, the universe without the first domain which is a spirit realm, is also dead. It is only the uh, fact that the first domain is is a vital essence of life that the universe can actually control, uh, uh, can can go forth, and and, and within the uh, uh, sound tron uh, have control by the by the revelation uh, and then be able to go forth in latolution to expand so these are just incredible uh, beautiful revelations and this myrtle tree revelation that I want to get into and teach you is really uh, an awesome revelation but I'm going to have to just possibly next time almost start with it so that we don't miss out now we said all this to bring you to the revelation of the Zith, the white horse. The Zith means fringe. And 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 it described the fringe on the on the, the robe of the priest and it represents the fringe of space. And um 
there is this revelation of the fringe of space which entails the revelation of God's people uh, separated from one another by this differentiation of this fringe of space, but which is never, nevertheless a part of the very robe of, of, of Christianity and revelation of God in his priesthood. And so this white horse ministry is about the, the revelation of Jesus Christ and all the people that are joined to him. And you know, the other day I saw, uh, just after the news, an, an advertising about some movie that was coming out called The War Horse. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Because Sunday I'm going to be ministering on this uh, white horse, which in a sense is a war horse. And the Bible says that Jesus is on that white horse and his followers are on white horses and he's going forth conquering and to conquer. And so we are being uh, taught and he says in that day, the, the, the sheep that are not of, of, the, of the fold, that they're going to be joined together. They're going to become one. And, and we, it's so important for people to come into this understanding and how that when you go back into the Bible, you've got people like Moses, and he was meeting and he was talking with, with these people that had come down from the Ziths, the 20,000 chariots of fire, and he was seeing them in physical bodies, and they were giving instruction. Elijah was meeting with these people. Even the, the prophets uh, of Elijah's time, they knew about that, and they knew that at any time he could be taken up. And, and there's been times on earth, if you go way, way, way back in time, the, the records, many of them have been lost. In the Bible alone, it mentions around over 20 uh, different books that have been lost. And it tells you to read them, but you can't because they've been lost. And God is restoring the years that the canker worm has eaten. And one of the restorations is for us to get universal and get out of just the idea of only a local church, only a local earth. We are a part of that part which is a part of the universe. And until people universally collect, connect to these revelations of the Bible, then they are indeed small and pitiful. And that's why this message that I'm ministering unto you is so extremely important for the people to come into the revelation and for them to begin to understand these things I'm saying. This isn't some story uh, to be, uh, you know, just bring in a, a, you know, some kind of a fancy story. No, it's much more than that. While the organ is playing, I want to, uh, I want to do Gentile tonight with the neurotransmitters. I want this holy power of God, this electro magnetic vibrations of God to touch you and heal you. Some of you people that are having problems sort of shaking with your hands and parts of your body and you're really worried about where it might lead to, whether you're getting a St. Vitus dance or some of those other kind of diseases. I want to, pr I want to pray this special Gentile for you tonight. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary, hypothalamus to thyroid, 
to the lymphatic gland, to the parasympathetic, the sympathetic neurotransmission system. Begin to send messages into the body. Begin to open the receptors of the, of the, of the, of the brain and of the body. Begin to concentrate serotonin, serotonin hormones to open the small blood vessels so that the flow of energy will reach superbly to the brain. Hypothalamus pituitary, pituitary, hypothalamus thyroid. Begin to send dopamine into the body for these people that are having these problems. Any of these people that are having problems with extra vibrations in the body, not normal to the body, or shakings or tremblings, begin to send this dopamine into those parts of the body and begin to eradicate these conditions and heal those people that they might have confidence in the Lord their God who shall go before them. Blessed be the most wonderful name of God. Hypothalamus to tubitary, tubitary, hypothalamus to thyroid. Pituitary to the regulating hormones and to the hypothalamus to begin to regulate the release of hormones from the pituitary for the benefit of the thyroid so that there could be a complete constructive healing and balance a proper order within the thyroid if there's any inhibitors if there's any blockers they are canceled may God bless you I've got a few of those books left I, sub I ask you to if you don't have one you need to get one and also the new book that we just have, have out the pearls of writ God bless you we love you so much good night